Hey everyone, welcome to Seated with Strangers. My name is K.L. Jones and we are exploring, reimagining community and culture. And today I have the pleasure of sitting with Ariel and Sajay. And in this episode, we are going to be discussing things we should be talking about, but haven't. To get started, let's talk about how do we establish boundaries within our family relationships and how do we address those boundaries when they're being crossed, which is a good conversation. That's a really good conversation. And it's one that it's something that I think we all experience, but I don't know that we all are equipped or know how to navigate it. Depending on what era you grew up in, like for myself, I'm in my fifties. And so I grew up in a time where how you speak to adults, what your place was as a child was like really heavily emphasized. Mm -hmm. And I recently had a situation with a family member where I was giving them feedback on something and it wasn't well received. And then another family member kind of interjected and was like, hey, we don't do that. And I'm like, I'm a full grown adult and I'm not trying to be disrespectful, but I am like, it came on the heels of me setting a boundary in a particular situation. And I've realized over time, like that was a glaring reminder to me. I've had a problem with setting boundaries in my life with family members, but it also challenged me to look at myself as a mom who has adult children. And as a mom, it doesn't matter how old your children are or how young they are, you see them as your baby. When you have adult children, they're adults. We're all adults. We make our own decisions. And so it, it challenged me to even go inward and be like, okay, Am I respecting my adult children's boundaries? They are in a season in their life where I might have an opinion about something. Is it necessary for me to share my opinion or is sharing my opinion overstepping their boundaries? And then also just empowering them to make sure that they know that they have the right to set boundaries even with me. Yeah, that's a good way to look at it because I think when I hear about boundaries in family relationships, for me, it comes off almost as the issues that typically happen within Caribbean families. So being a Jamaican, most <laughs> Jamaican. So most individuals, like most of the, I guess you can say the elders or the adults in the family, they don't expect there to be boundaries. So it's almost like they pick up the phone and they call and they expect for you if it's three o'clock in the morning, you should hop out of your bed to do whatever it is, don't worry about your rest, don't worry about anything else, because you are the youngest, and you should just automatically just get up and do whatever it is. And I think that's with having, with wanting to even establish those boundaries, it's tricky, because one, you are risking the fact that Yes, they may be a right, and no one likes to have that type of tension within a family. And also you are risking the fact that they this upset that they have these feelings could be long term or short term. And then also possibly breaking a relationship because you have family members that, especially within Caribbean families, where you may tell them no or later or whatever it is, and all of a sudden you're the worst person on earth. And so establishing it, I think, comes with being okay with taking those specific 
risk knowing that the person may be upset knowing that you may have a broken relationship and knowing that you may have to go back in and even talk to them after they've calmed down and that can go from any angle and even discussing about the boundaries that have been crossed it's like the same concept of being okay with that but it's hard and i think it is it's something I want to say for Caribbean families, and I want to say maybe even Black American families as well, too, that is heavily rooted within our African ancestry. Yeah, I think it's a hierarchical type of, or patriarchal type of, it's unfortunate as I'm listening to you and I'm listening to us as we talk about this, it's really unfortunate because I don't know if you've ever had anybody in your family that's, this is the way that I am. It's the way I've always been. It's the way I'm always going to be. And when we talk about setting boundaries, I think it can be detrimental to run into a family member who has that mindset, but then they don't see the importance of setting boundaries. What do you mean? You're setting a boundary for me. I'm your aunt. I'm your mother. I'm your father. I'm your grandmother, whatever that role is. Because again, we were taught, and I think it's the same across Black American families, Caribbean American families. We all came from the same place. And it's those traditions and lessons and mannerisms that we've been taught from generation to generation. And so again, it has to change with someone because the reality is you're not going to always be able to change the older folks in your family. But then they're also, and then, and they're not the only ones who need boundaries set. Like we, again, I'm a Gen Xer and many of us have children who are in their late teens entering adulthood. Some of them are already in adulthood. And so we have to be careful to make sure that we're not repeating those types of behaviors. We're talking about a generation coming from a generation that didn't believe in therapy. And part of the reason why they didn't believe in therapy was because we were taught what happens in this family stays in this family. Like we don't go sharing and discussing family business. And if I'm your insert, whatever role or relationship that person has with you, if I'm asking you to do a thing, you should do it, whether you like to do it or not. It, it has to change. And it, again, sadly, may not change with the generation before us, but it has to change with us so that we are in a position where we're having healthier conversations and people feel empowered and okay and don't feel like they're going to run the risk of being ostracized or cast out from their pants because they set boundaries, have boundaries in place. Exactly it. That's exactly it. And it's true. And I think I've had that conversation with my mom. And I remember one day asking her like, hey, back in your days, and and of course she goes, what do you mean back in my days? I'm like, when you were my age, Mm -hmm. did did you and your friends struggle with anxiety and depression? And having that conversation with her and she was like no we just had high blood pressure and that's what she would say and it's funny because to look at the difference in our current society when boundaries are caught are crossed it leads to anxiety and depression Mm -hmm. versus her days it leads to high blood pressure but i think having the more having to see on the exterior more so how the how anxiety and depression is i think that sometimes allows for a family member to understand 
what happens when they cross the boundary. And yeah. it's sad that it's like you have to wait till I fall apart for you to believe that I can't take you to the store. Yeah. <laughs> so, but yeah. it's the honest truth. It's the honest truth. And it's unfortunate. Yeah. But yeah, it's definitely what this is definitely a conversation we need to be having, but we don't, especially in black families and in the black community. Why do you feel like we're afraid to start over in our careers or try something? Do you feel like our parents or society or our upbringing or even our mentors have reinforced that we have to stay in one lane doing the same thing all the time Mm -hmm. to achieve success in life or whatever it is that we desire to do? Do you agree with this thought pattern? I feel like, one, I feel like we are afraid to start over because we sometimes consciously, sometimes subconsciously care about what others think, whether it's a family member. Or mm-hmm. I remember when I made the decision to not go to law school and mm-hmm. I felt like I disappointed my, because mm-hmm. my family, or at least to me, I was going, I was in this, I don't know who I was in competition with, but in my <laughs> head, I was going to be the female that is who I was going to be. So literally mm-hmm. think Ben Crump, but like mm-hmm. a female. Like that's, mm-hmm. I was going to be out there. And having to make that transition and announcing it to the family, I did feel like a sort of failure, but I did not realize because I was caring on what people thought of me. Expectations. You know? Yeah, their expectations. And I think it's not even realizing that sometimes family members or parents want to live their dreams through us as a kid and even though yeah. i'm not a kid but i don't know if you get what i'm saying because even like i it as a millennial i'm still it doesn't matter like my mom looks at me as her little kid <laughs> but so it's just realizing those concepts and then even when it comes on staying in one lane t- to achieve the life that we want it's all is also the same thing worrying about what society thinks what do our social media followers think are they going to understand what we're talking about that was a big thing for me it was like are they going to understand that i am a multi-hyphenated entrepreneur are they going to understand that i have expertise in these different areas are they going to understand that these are the lanes that i thrive in and while it may look like i do everything i don't do everything and that's important because you like i'm very fortunate in that from my parents perspective i get a lot of support it doesn't matter what I come to them and say I'm doing, they're on board. They're they're like my biggest cheerleaders. They crack me up. They'll see somebody on TV and be like, oh, you could have did that. But you know, so I have that love and support for them. And I'm really grateful and appreciative of that. The pressure for me does come from the societal pressure for the very reasons that you just shared. And it's a reoccurring conversation that I find myself having with other people. And I just had to get to a place where, I was able to be really clear, have this great sense of awareness and be really clear on what my identity is. And I'm someone who has multiple talents and gifts and interests and they do them very well. But to your point, it doesn't mean that I'm doing them all simultaneously. That's how I thrive as a person, as a storyteller, as a creative. I am not designed to function. Like some people 
like we all have different personalities and things that make us exceptional beings. Me focusing on one singular thing is not it. <laughs> That's not what makes me exceptional, but someone else might thrive very well doing that. And so I just had to be honest with myself and say, I give you permission to function as this full complex being. Understanding though, that not everyone is going to understand it or embrace it. And it does become a challenge, especially if you're introducing something new, your community, which is a part of society at large. But I think at the end of the day, when you get that clarity and have that sense of awareness, that's where the confidence is built. And then you don't put so much stock into worrying about what someone else thinks. I'm in a pivot now where I've entered into a new industry. And one of the things that I had been concerned with is whether once I shared this information publicly in this new business model that I'm operating in, would people somehow think that not that I was less than, but maybe that I was confused or that I just completely abandoned what they know me for doing yeah. because I'm stepping into a different industry. And so again, just if we're not careful, those thoughts and ideas and behaviors and comments and conversations that you're hearing other people can put you in a box and reinforce this idea that you should only be focused on one thing. And some people should while others shouldn't but you got that's where the awareness comes in <laughs> yeah. that makes sense it definitely makes a lot of sense um because yeah i can see how some people are called just to operate in one lane and some are not really that makes a lot of sense in what you're saying okay mm -hmm. let's talk about what has happened in the internet street so it We've all heard basically that it goes down in the DM, but really the group chat holds the most tea, which is very true. My group chat never believed. Group chat <laughs> is never <laughs> Anything, let's burn the phone. Burn right. the phone. Throw the phone away. And group chats really help us to make decisions and really help us to gain a perspective on different scenarios that may come up, whether it's business, whether it's family issues, friendship issues. So it is, that is what the group chat is for. But would you say that venting about a friend or an issue concerning someone is gossiping? And mm. how would you address someone who you feel like is always gossiping in the group chat? Okay, I'm going to answer the second question first because that's a quick direct. If I am in conversation with someone or connected to someone who I feel like is always gossiping, I have to shut it down because I don't like gossiping. And there's a difference for me. There's a difference between sharing your personal experience and perspective with a person and gossiping about them, talking about them, berating them, tearing them down, or dissimulating their character or who they are. And two things can be true at the same time. You can have a bad experience with a person and have the right to communicate about that experience. Now, my take on it is that that conversation, you should try at all costs to have the conversation with the person that you have the issue with. Yeah. 
Yeah. Or you pick nice. up the phone to call your girlfriend, your homie, or into the group chat with the T. If you are a true friend and you take an adult approach, I think the conversation should always happen, if at all possible, with the person that you're in offense with. Because that's what it is. It's offense. Whether it's justified or not, we find ourselves being in offense. And we can be in offense with people that we love and care about. Sure. Now, if you're not able to, for whatever reason, have a conversation with this person, and maybe it's because the person is rejecting you and you're hurt, like we are innate storytellers by nature. Mm -hmm. We we crave human connection. We yeah. want to be heard. We want to be seen. We want to feel valued. And a lot of times we want to feel validated in whatever it is that we're feeling. And the group chat can oftentimes provide those things for us. I think it's a slippery slope, though. You have to be careful. Intention is everything. I will always go with talk to the person that you are having an issue with first. And if that does not happen or can't happen, whether it's because they've rejected you or maybe you've had the conversation and you want a different perspective and you mm -hmm. feel like you need to talk to someone else about it, then find a way to share your perspective without bringing that person's name into the mix. So mm -hmm. you still should be, in my opinion, you should still protect that person right. if it's a especially if you value the friendship and the relationship. Now, sometimes there might be other parties involved that know both sides because they've been privy to it. That might be the exception of when you're not sharing. But I just think at the end of the day, we can avoid a lot of just mm -hmm. going to the person. Yeah. It's funny you say that because it's like with me, it's the complete opposite. So I feel like on social media, my brand, I am Dr. Sajay Price, right? I was like, nice person. But in the group chat, I'm a whole other person. You see and, it. Uh, yeah. So whoever it is that's the issue in the group chat will hear from me. And I've probably been like, it was the, the sound on, on TikTok. Am I the problem? Because I'm going to let it know and then somebody going to leave the group chat and then the whole group chat going to be destroyed and you got to add the person back and you got to, yeah, yeah, I'm going to let it know. Because I think there's always extent to what you're doing and what you're saying and things like that. Yep. But yeah, yeah, in essence, gossiping has almost become normalized. I would say because of blogs and social media. Absolutely. But I People are getting paid to gossip. Yeah. And I think for my group chats, the biggest gossip is always like the celebrity tea. Hey, did you see what happened on this blog? Did you see what happened yeah. here? Did you see what happened there? And thinking about that, I didn't really realize that it is gossiping. It is but gossip. Now that you say it, I'm like, I might need to reel back my comment a little bit. Yeah. You know, because if you pop up on the shade room, you already know it's gossip. Yep. So if maybe that, I'm following the blog or investigating the case. Maybe. <laughs> Just leave it alone. <laughs> I've been down some rabbit holes in group chats investigating cases that I don't even know how I had the time to investigate. And there I am going through a Twitter thread and sharing with the group chat, this is what's happened. This is what I think 
It's been, oh my. Are you one of them TikTok investigators when folks go missing or something ain't right? You coming up with a clue. Okay, I got you. I feel. And I will say, I think it's where you're at in life. Like I never use age as a a gauge for anything, Mm -hmm. but I will say my response today would not have been my response like 15, 10 years ago because I was in a different mindset. But I think it's, we evolve every day Mm -hmm. and the things that we once used to deem okay or didn't see a problem with can shift in time and vice versa or things that you never would have saw yourself doing before you're now doing. And I think that just comes with evolving and growing. Yeah, that's very true. (laughs) Oh, okay. So we're going to leave this piping hot tea on the stove for another conversation. And we're going to get into something else that I'm really excited about. And that is why aren't we talking enough about the responsibility of aging parents and what that looks like, whether you're single or you're married and your parents, if you're blessed to still have your parents here, do we feel like there's a responsibility? If you're married, does the spouse take on a responsibility with you? If it's your parents or vice versa, if it's their parents, like if they become ill, whose responsibility is it to look after aging parents? And that could be one, again, if you're single or if you're married, and also if you have siblings, You know what I'm saying? Who's responsible for that? And I would just jump in and say, it is so funny because again, I never think about myself in my fullness as a 50 something year old Mm -hmm. woman. I talk about it because I am an advocate, a staunch advocate for anti-aging, disrupting what aging looks like. But the reality is I'm like, man, I am getting to that age where I need to be having conversations with my kids. My, If something happens to mom, this is what I desire or how would you handle that? And I think not having those conversations can be super detrimental because a lot of times and we've seen it time and time again, unfortunately, someone will pass or someone will become mm-hmm. incapacitated and no longer can take care of themselves. And no one knows what to do because we haven't had the conversations. We think somehow that by having the conversation, we magically are making the thing happen. And that's not. That's true. (laughs) So what do you think about the responsibility of aging? You know, if it's your job to take care of an aging parent or should your spouse help or what are your thoughts on that? One, I felt we need to have a conversation, which is a good thing that you just said like that conversation needs to be had mm-hmm. I don't believe it is had and so what typically happens is that whether I've seen it within my family or a friend's family or however is that the parent ages something happens whether it's taking care of them because maybe they have an illness or something like that and it's normally the one person who is naturally assigned even though you didn't choose a position but you're just automatically assigned so even with my family i will saw say my mom it's funny because thinking of it, i probably do the same thing but like with my mom i feel like i am automatically assigned because of having a flexible schedule because mm-hmm. of being in business for myself mm-hmm. with my it's my sister my my older sister and it's funny because i always tell her like yeah that's you that's not my role i do the doctor appointments with mom you go take care of that i don't do that i like this honest signed discussion but it needs to be had because when it is not have it normally leaves like the responsibility to one person that one person is burnt out Mm -hmm. and i have been there before 
Yeah. And I think um, it causes it, it creates an opportunity for animosity to happen between family mm-hmm. members. Like, mm-hmm. like you said, just burnt out, but then also mm-hmm. feeling like going back to what we were talking about before with the boundaries, not having boundaries in place that because you think I'm an entrepreneur, I have all of this free time. So I should be the one to take care of mom or dad. And I know with me, and I'm like feeling a little emotional because I have sisters. We have the same father, but I am my mother's only child. And, but she embraces my sisters as her own. My oldest sister, her and mom are really close. But at the end of the day, even though I know that my sister would show up in a heartbeat to help wherever I needed the responsibility of my mom, and even though she's married and she has a husband, ultimately it's spouse to spouse first, but I am faced with aging parents. Mm -hmm. And so I know that responsibility is mine. And we've had the conversations, but probably not as in depth as we need to. So this is even prompting me to say, you know what, let's have a family meeting so we can discuss something. Because you like to think like your parents are going to be around forever. We just recently celebrated my great aunt's 108th birthday. And I want at least 108 years for all my family. You know what I'm Mm -hmm. saying? But that we can't afford to not have those conversations about what it would look like to take care of aging parents. Yeah. And so whoever is listening to this, make sure that y'all go have the conversation because it is needed. It's definitely needed. And don't throw your people in the nursing home. Let me just, I'm going to get on my soapbox for 2.5 seconds, maybe five seconds. Because in my earlier years, I was a certified nurse's assistant and I worked at a nursing home. And one of the most heartbreaking things for me, the ward that I worked on was with Alzheimer's patients, people that had dementia, early stage dementia and Alzheimer's. And it was heartbreaking at even in my 20s to see that I was going to work to take care of these people who were elderly, had health conditions and their families. And I was operating from a place of judgment. Now I'm in a different place, but they just threw it felt like they just didn't want to deal with what came with aging parents. So they put them in a nursing home. And I remember having the thought and even the conversations like, we don't do that in black families. Like you ain't nobody going to the nursing home until it happened with me, with my great grandmother, who was more like my grandmother. And she was put in a nursing home against my will. And it crushed me and because I, at that time I was single, I was a single mom with two daughters. I had a great career and I also had my own, my consulting agency on the side and I was building a house because the, the floor plan that I chose based on the fact that I knew I wanted to bring my great grandmother to come and live with me. Because I remember growing up and always hearing in our family, don't put us in nursing homes. You put us in a nursing home, we're going to die. That was always the thing. And I just felt like it was a responsibility of mine to make sure that my great grandmother didn't go to a nursing home. And again, some unfortunate things happened and she was put in a nursing home against her will and my family's will. And it deteriorated. Like the thing that she said would happen, happened. She wasn't even in the nursing home for a year before she passed away. And I remember dealing with 
so much guilt. I was like, if I would have just got the house built fast enough, or if I could have saw this coming and I could have stopped all the things like you. So you, you have that desire to make sure that your family is good and taken care of. So if you are in a position to do that, yes, it means that you might have to change some things about your lifestyle, but mm -hmm. isn't it worth it to do that? True. For, you know what I'm saying? So yeah. we don't have yeah. forever. We don't have forever. So that is very true. I like how you that and I agree with the no nursing homes. As much as yeah. I joke with my mom about it, but no. That's where they're gonna get the best care. Obviously, again, it's everybody's situation is unique, mm -hmm. but don't just be throwing folks in a nursing home because, because yeah, you don't feel like being bothered. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So I'm like, just take care of your people. We don't yeah. have them forever. Yeah. Take care of your people. When I'm telling my kids, don't put me in no nursing home. I agree. I completely agree. <laughs> I definitely want to say thank you to everyone for listening. And if you enjoyed this episode and you'd like to support the podcast, please share it with others. Post about it on social media. Leave a rating or review. Seated with Strangers is a full experience podcast. So check out the show notes for more ways to engage with us. And we'll see you next time. All right. Bye. Take care. Bye.